Thank you for tuning in to the Good Grief, Good God Show, hosted by Grammy nominee and Emmy award-winning hit songwriter, Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. Join Brad on the first and third Tuesdays of the month in both audio and video for what Brad has coined raw, honest conversations about surviving things that suck. Coming up in one minute, Brad welcomes best-selling author and hit songwriter, Amy Mayo. Amy's songs have spent 26 weeks at number one, and records featuring her songs have sold over 150 million units. In addition to being a songwriter, Amy wrote an amazing memoir that's also going to be made into a movie called Talking to the Sky, a memoir of living my best life in a shit show. Brad and Amy have been friends for decades and have written several hits together, including Blake Shelton's Every Time I Hear That Song and Martina McBride's How I Feel. You're about to find out Amy has one of the biggest and most unique personalities in country music and is about as raw and real as it gets. For more information about Amy Brad and the show, check the description or visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com where you'll find the most up-to-date show information, including links to the back catalog of episodes. Lastly, help the support show by hitting that subscribe button. The Good Grief, Good God Show is brought to you in loving memory of Brad and Michelle's son, Sage Michael Warren. Here's episode three. Enjoy. He's the most comfortable, famous guy yeah, I've ever I been around. And I don't know, I barely know him. Like, uh, there's some other guys I actually really know, but he he's so comfortable with it. He just... Is this far enough or... Okay. Yeah, I already feel emotional just sitting down like I'm telling you. I'm like... Oh, that's good. I mean, it's I don't, I'm not afraid of it. Well, it's just real. I mean, people, you know, like, that's one thing with the book. People were just like, the vulnerable part. That's what, you know, like, there were people at Lola's school, these, these like, preppy moms... And I was like, oh, God, they're going to think we're weirder than they already do. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and, but, and like they, but they turn into different people just telling me I grew up like this or I did this. It, when you're vulnerable, it's it's it makes other people it makes other people be willing to be vulnerable. Yep. That's, because that's they're like, oh, oh, me, too. She gets it. And by the way, a lot of willing to do it is one thing. You're just like, but you I'm, I'm a little bit of a snob with memoirs, especially people that haven't written books. You wrote the shit out of it. I asked my wife, I'm like, I don't know what the verbiage, this is fake. I can tell they're just trying to be a good writer. Don't be, uh, what was Stephen King's? Don't use big words because you're ashamed of your small ones. Aww. You know what I mean? He's got some great, but everything, every word in that book. Just, I'm actually reading it for the second time. I only got about a third of the way through because we were going to do this and I didn't, but I'm like, it's just as good the second time. That's, that's so wild you're saying that. I, that. I mean, I really could not have worked harder. That's the one. That's when I finally let it go because I know I couldn't have worked harder. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you obviously did. Oh, this is. Are we? Are we running yet? Um, it's funny. So this is how I feel. Did you see Step Brothers? Oh, I love Step Brothers. Okay. So this is how I feel about telling you how I feel about your book. You remember when Will Ferrell sang for John C. Riley in the bedroom? And, and John C. Riley goes, no, no, you don't understand. You have the voice of an angel. And Will Ferrell goes, I know. <laughs> I feel like that about your book. Like, do you know how good that book is? Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, I know that you do because you everyone's crazy. John C. Riley is who we're going after, like, to play my dad. And, I mean, my mom was like, he's perfect. Because we had thought about um, another actor, but he could cover the comedic part, but not the drama part. And then um, I was telling, and then. Did you see the winning time, the Lakers? That's my favorite show. Um, Dennis Quaid was like, um, we've gotten to be real good friends, and he loves the book. He just but he was going to be your dad. Well, no, he's not going to be my dad because the age thing. Because my dad had me really young. 
And um, so, like, and John C. Raleigh's like, he's pushing it. But yeah. I think, like, it will, I think it would work. But Throw a little extra hair on him in the front. Yeah, I think he's perfect. I mean, he's perfect because there's something about him, like, that's just so real. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't wait to see this. Although, the, this movie always screws the book up. Well, I'm I'm writing the screenplay, and I, I've, oh. I've I've spent the first six months studying, just like I did with the book, studying and like the thing is, I want to at least. I realized, even though the book is my heart, I realized that it could be a movie I hate because somebody could do it like completely wrong. You I have mean, like very completely little control, different. even if you write the screenplay on how it feels or yeah. something. Yeah. So I want to get it kind of how like I see it and feel it, and then pull somebody in that's got more, like more experience, yeah, you know, yeah. like to help fix it. Yeah. I mean, you did the, you did the hard part, right? In the book alone, but that, if you had had a ghostwriter in that book, it would not have been the same thing, even close. You killed it. I, Every I don't know. time an editor messed with it, I changed it right back. Cause like they would just put things like, these are real people and they would just add stuff that didn't even happen. Yeah. I mean, to be totally honest, I, I kind of was like, okay, I, you're a genius and you're insane. And I was like, oh, my God, Amy's lost her mind. She's going to go write a whole book. Now, I don't know why it doesn't seem at all crazy to me anymore but because it's so good. But what if it had sucked? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so weird because I worked on that book so long and it hit me one day. Like, I think it gave me two nervous breakdowns, but it hit me one day that the kids had watched me work on this book their whole life. And if I didn't put it out that would affect their choices, you know? And then I was like, even if it sucked and nobody read it, it's going to be better for them if I let it go. And me, because it just kind of felt like an abscess in my heart. I had to get, it's gross, but like I had to get out or it's going to kill me or something. Yeah, it couldn't suck because your stories, um, here's a couple things that, that went through my head. Um, I wanted to hug you because I'm like, oh my God, poor Amy. That That is, there's a lot to go through. And then- it hits me about like how your 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 gratitude level is up there because you're a happy person, and th at some point during that kind of thing, you got a fork in the road. Like I'm either going to be bitter and I'm gonna hate everybody, yeah. or I'm gonna be so happy for the good times. And I'm gonna find peace. And I'm gonna find people I find peace with, and it's I, I had a similar fork. That's, that's how I feel about y'all. That's how I feel about y'all because there comes a point like that. A lot of things in life are a choice. You know what I mean? How you're gonna, how you're gonna, even though it doesn't feel like it could be a choice, it's like how you're gonna handle something. Some emotions are too big to talk to to be that way. But like, you know, um, when when something happens, you just gotta at some point decide, you know, what you're gonna do, how you're gonna go. Yeah, life is ten percent what happens to me and ninety percent how I react to it. And I really believe that. I always told, I told my kids growing up, as a matter of fact, the, the one we lost, I told him that all the time because he had a, he had a short fuse and he was super hard on himself and he was just emotional in sports. I'm like, this, whatever happens is going to happen, but how we react to it is what we can control. And we can't control, we can't control very much. I know. There just it. isn't that much we can. So that fork in the road where you decide, like, I'm going to go this way, or I'm going to go that way, it is a choice. It is, I've had a choice since, since losing Sage. You had a choice since the, God, you were young. All of the craziness. And you were making choices all along the way. There's sometimes this big, this one big fork. And you had like a, you had like a Chinese restaurant full of forks. I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot of decisions that you had to make to go, I'm going to be a positive person. I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be successful. 
sometimes it's even subconscious almost. Like the one thing I heard somebody say is your pain is your gift. And that your pain is the only way you can help people. What y'all have gone through, nobody's going to listen to anybody talk about something like that unless they've gone through it. I mean, like, it it's just almost a joke for somebody to try to tell y'all stuff if they haven't gone through something like that because they don't know what they're talking about. D- that became, okay, so I have I started a, men, a dad's group. I've been sober for 17 years, you know, a uh, long time. And, and, um, recovery is awesome because you talk with other people to have a common ailment or a common enemy and you, you you talk about it. That's the gist of the whole thing. Some accountability, but really some like me too. I loved it. Matthew McConaughey's book. Did you read that? No, but I've, I've got it on audio that I'm going to listen. He has this scene where he's, um, he's messed up in the head and he goes to some monk and, and, and they walk for like four hours or something. And Matthew said, he just unloads his baggage on this monk and just crushing him. And they get done with a four-hour walk. The guy didn't say a word, not one word. And they finish the walk and they're coming up and the monk guy just looks at him and goes, me too. And he said, I was all better. <laughs> I just needed someone to understand and to listen how I felt. And that's really what you want. So I started this dad's group. I was out to breakfast with a couple of dads who had lost kids like the month after. And I could hear these guys. They're like, yeah, we went to counseling, but I asked the counselor, have you ever lost a kid? And they're like, no, no, well, I don't want to hear what you have to say because you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And um, I just said, hey, why don't we just have dads together that have? And so in this room, we meet like oh, once a so month. Good. And there's like 10 or 15 guys. And um, some of them, that you, a couple you probably know. And um, we just, just talk about it. Talk about the elephant in the room. Because you need to talk about it. Like, And it's like addiction. You know, you're not going to listen to somebody tell you about addiction if they haven't, you know. Most of those people, counselors at the rehabs, they are people who went through the program. And you know what I mean? Like, I asked them, if they, if you are you an actual alcoholic? And they're like, no. And I'm like, I don't really want to hear from you. Yeah. But yeah. I have a degree. <laughs> like, yeah, don't really care. It's, it's so true. Like. And it's crazy, like with songs, I have written, I I was telling Chris, I think I've written more songs about losing people and death than anybody. Like there's that lady, that author, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross or what, she did the five stages of grief. Like she's a big author on that. And I was like, I feel like the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross of country music. (laughs) Well, one of my favorite cuts that we've ever had, we wrote together, it was called Good Girls. And it's just a total one girl murdering the other one over a guy. And it was I thought it was brilliant. Uh, it was that, on a, it, it was on a Tim cool McGraw record, song. but it was never going to be a hit because it was pretty pretty Chris murderous. Plays that song out. Oh, does he really? Yeah. I want to I want to play it. All right. So I I um I try to have a quote for uh, I'm gonna have a quote for every guest. I love quotes. I it's love just, quotes. They do it for me. I have I have like hundreds of them stored away. So anyway, I try to I try to look up a quote for every guest. And uh, so this was the quote that I found for you. Um, it's Hunter S. Thompson. And you've probably even heard it. Uh, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well, well-preserved well body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow. Oh, I love, I love Hunter S. Thompson. Thompson. Remember Johnny Depp did that thing? It spent like a million dollars to shoot those. What was it? Fireworks at his funeral, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He spent a fortune. He loved Hunter S. They were both from Kentucky, um, but yeah, I love Hunter S. Like explains a lot on both of them. What Johnny now? Depp's from Kentucky. Yeah, like you're not allowed to act that cool if you if you're from Kentucky. Yeah, I was shocked. He <laughs> was back from for Kentucky. our. I mean, how how long have we known each other? 
15 years? Way longer, well, I think. 20s, probably. Because... When did y'all get your record deal? Okay, so we got a record deal like 1997. So we've known each other like around that time. I mean, it probably could be a year after. That's true. So it's probably more like 25 we've, years. I think the first time I met y'all, we were at the cooker because I remember Bill Luther did something crazy. We all laughed so hard. Renee Bell. That's right. Because I start when when I got sober thinking about who I did, but there, there was years before that where, where we were all out. I was probably absolutely <laughs> shit canned in front of you guys many times because I met you and Bill Luther and Chris all together, I think. I I remember Bill said something at lunch that you 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 guys like and us were just like he'll say anything. What's in the box? You remember that? He was talking yes, about the, the post office. Yes. He goes, no wonder the post office guys go crazy because they're like, at some point, what's in the box? Remember <laughs> yes. that? But he was screaming it in the restaurant. That is so funny. That's right. That He's so talented ago. too. I mean, like he blows me away. Of because I wrote that song, um, Who You'd Be Today with Bill. And um, the wild thing is like that song just brought so many stories. It still does, you know, so many stories into into my life and his life that they're just hard to even know how to digest them or what to do. Like it was it was about my friend who died at 21 and and like so the the stories are all people who've lost somebody young, you know, because it's about who would you be, you know, who would you be today? Like if you know, and that song is so sad. So sad, but it's awesome. It it's one of my favorites, but I play that one out and I don't I don't even know but five. <laughs> I don't know but and I don't play guitar on them. I just know the words and can remember the whole song. You make Chris play guitar? Yeah, we do that. and we fight like hell too because he'll play it in the wrong key and then blame me. <laughs> the great thing is about when me and Brett and you and Chris, we all four write together. Brett and I are arguing and you and Chris are arguing. And you and me are usually and on the same we're page. We're on the same page. And they're on the same page. Yeah, that's true. That is true. We go that. We And we kind of got it a little more, I think. Like, so I don't Brett know Brett and I are kind of married and you guys are kind of siblings. <laughs> you're older, right? Yeah, I'm older, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's like, he's still like, oh, listen, yeah, there's a little bit of all the. Uh, so Chris, your husband is one of my favorite people. Uh, he, I quote him all the time. He's got a couple of great quotes that I always tell songwriters. He t- he told me the quote of um, your your biggest songs are not going to be your your best songs, and your best songs will not be your biggest hits. He's always coming it's up been with so stuff true. Like I mean, literally, like 20 years later. So 20 years ago, he probably told maybe it was 15 that he told me that we started writing together probably 15 years ago. We've yeah. known each other yeah. for over 20, but we started really started writing together a lot. And uh, man, it's been really true. Like there are songs that are just the best thing you've ever written and, they, and they're never going to see radio. And then there's songs you get on the radio and they're hits. You're like, oh, that's pretty good. But I, I got better ones that you haven't heard. Yeah. What do you, how is it different for you? Before we get into the the grief thing is thick. I had to ask because like, remember the album cuts that we, hell, we have some. We had, yeah. just talked yeah. about it, Good Girls. Like the album cut that doesn't matter anymore. Like oh, it's what? a little yeah. weird because only one song matters. Only getting the single matters. I had a cut on an artist that is huge, and I own the publishing on it, and I got my check a couple weeks ago. It was $19.26, and I was just, I mean, having the, back a long time ago, that would have been like a whole different thing, because the money came from the mechanicals, from the sales, Yeah, and like, people would like, I realized when I first saw YouTube, like I still remember the day 
the kids were looking something up on YouTube, I was like, well, oh, no. nobody's going to buy music anymore. It's free. They watch everything from that. So Brett and I had, a, uh, we wrote with Taylor Swift when she was like 15 back in the day. And she hadn't, hadn't recorded any of those songs. Well, when she did this, the, redid her original records, she went back and recorded five of those old songs that she had. So she did one of our songs and she did a duet with Keith Urban on it. So Taylor Swift cut, duet with Keith Urban, never been released before, streamed a lot of times. I don't even know how many because I don't do, I'm terrible with technology and social media, as you guys know. Um we got the check. We Brett counted it up because I was just too. It's too sad for me to look. Nine hundred dollars for the whole year. That's and it what, was Taylor, Taylor, and Keith, and Keith Urban. That's insane. Nine hundred dollars. That is crazy. I mean, per hour, that's not very good money. <laughs> well, and like Taylor, she's as big as it gets. You you would think just her farting on a microphone would get would make you a couple grand. We wrote a song with her. We It's weird. Me and her got to be good friends, but we didn't write great because we kind of do the same thing with yeah. the ideas and stuff. And um, we did this one song with her. I think we only finished two songs, but one of them, I don't know how it ended up on YouTube because I didn't even have a copy of it. And I think she had to have played it out somewhere. Somebody recorded it and put it on there. That's all I can figure. But um, that song, like, we, we wrote another song with her that is the craziest thing I've ever written in my life. It, but it was her words. But it was like talking about her and this boy and the car ran over his foot. And he said something about she looked like Carrie from that movie. Like, I mean, it was just like all Did over the place. It? No, she never recorded any of these except for like a work tape. I think it could be the one I'm thinking of that's on YouTube, but I'm not sure. But I mean, the lyric is nuts, but that's part of her magic. Like I realized a few weeks ago, like I hadn't been writing hardly any and we were writing with this girl and we were just sitting there and it was like silence and it was, it was really just hard. And so then I thought I was thinking about Taylor because she was talking about Taylor and all the stuff Taylor writes is true. That's why it's good, I think. I remember saying to her, this teenage girl, by the way, at the time I had zero hits. I was an active alcoholic. I had no idea what I was doing, but I thought I knew everything. I remember I remember saying to her, I don't think anyone wants to hear about high school. I said <laughs> that because she kept writing about it. She was in high school. She was writing about high school. <laughs> I think it's a miracle. So the, the miracle, the $19 song and the $900 Taylor Swift song, it almost makes like what you wrote amazed. It makes that even a bigger miracle. People, the the song and dance these these songs have to do to yeah. to get cut, to make the album, to get out there to radio or anything, and then to climb to the top. And then when it song like Amaze, I haven't had one like that, is. but the, this, to stay there for how long was Amaze at number one? Well, the thing that was weird about Amazed is it fit all the stations. That was yeah, what yeah. was good. It could be on AC, it could be on country, it could be on pop. So it was number one for like I don't know if you put them all together, but it was number one on country, I think, eight or nine weeks. But it was like all, but people still, the funny thing about Amazed is like, it's so many people's wedding song. And like, um, probably 10 years ago, people would come up gushing about that song. I love it. It was our wedding song. But now a little more time has gone by. And now I will see people and they'll just be like, I hate that song because they're divorced. Oh. <laughs> and it was their <laughs> wedding song and they 
hate you. I mean, that would make you hate a song. That's the next thing. You have to write a divorce song. That's a classic. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. D-I-V-O-R-C-E, I guess. It would be good. There's not been many. Oh, that's funny. That's, we hate that song because we're divorced now. Yeah. I thought you were going to say they were just sick of it, but God. you. No, they. I mean, there was somebody drunk in a bar and we played it out and they were just like, ah, and hate that. I mean, just going off on how much they hated One it. One out of two marriages end in divorce. You got a 50-50 chance of pissing somebody off later with that song. That, that kind of made me sad. I looked at that statistic the other day. 52 stay married, 52% and 48 get divorced. For some reason, that hit me different. Like the actual numbers, that's just, I don't know. Like, but people marry the wrong people sometimes. Just say, I wonder how many of those, that the, the happiness quotient gets in there when you find the right person like it's funny when I was I was reading your book and when your mom got together with the the guy that wasn't your dad obviously I was like oh no you overcompensated because yeah you know you, you yeah. married the crazy artist guy and you're like no 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 I need Mr. Stable over he here he was as stable as it gets and the crazy thing is they just celebrated their 42nd wedding anniversary and like that I just can't even they've stayed together I mean They've split up. My favorite quote that I heard um, Gwyneth Paltrow's dad say, he said, somebody said, what's the secret to a marriage this long in Hollywood or something? And, um, you know, you guys have been married 30 or 40 years. And he said, we never wanted to get a divorce at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's oh, good. Wow. That's good. That, it, wow. Yeah, that's actually probably a good I thing. I mean, because people are going to just, you know, it's like being together that long, people change. And like, there's so many different, Chris and me just spend so much time together. Like yeah. we're all, I mean, we're always together and we've gotten in so many fights in the writing room. We had to come up with like a code word, like. We were right with that guy, Rodney Akins, or do you know what yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 He, and so I didn't know this, but we were writing at BMG. Well, Chris and me got in a fight, and I said I had to go to the bathroom, and I was so pissed off, I left. Well, Chris was so upset, he left. I, and we never talked about this. Are then, you at your house? No, we were at BMG. Oh, oh okay. That'd and be so funny if you left him at your house. That guy came up to me at the BMI Awards. And he was like, y'all just left me. So I didn't know Chris left too. And he didn't know. We never talked about it. But we both just left and left him sitting there. And I was just like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. You I know? love when you and Chris fight because it made me feel comfortable. And, and Brett and I would do it. Yeah, there's something about getting to the end of it. And you don't really fight. You're just tussling. It's like. It's he like, knows what I hate, like in the writing room. Like if he gets, if he starts making tracks for three hours, I'm out of gas by the time he's done. And he knows. There is a mojo thing, but the fact that you guys can, we, Brett and I always say we have a strength in the fact that we don't have to BS about, okay, if it's a bad idea and everyone knows it, but the person that brought it up, I'm like, if I have a bad idea, tell me. Yeah. And yeah. we just, just, and you'll be like, Chris, you're, you're, you're spending too long being negative. We, we have something yes. to do. And he'll be like, okay, you're right. And. Because you, you can't write a great song if somebody's negative in there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so many people, like, I hadn't written that much in the last couple years, but so many people would come in and just be so down on the music business. After 15 minutes, you felt so deflated. It's like, why are we even in here? I know. I had, I had to stop doing that. Like, I can't, if we can't be grateful that we get to make up shit for a living, then we shouldn't be in there. And it, it is tempting to get into the, oh, you know, there's always someone, there's always somebody richer, smarter, and better looking. You know, <laughs> that's just life. Yeah. And so if we get in there and start thinking about everyone who's hotter than we are or not as hot, or, it's just, we are so fortunate, all of us to do. Um, 
I, yeah, I didn't stop with the whole negative. Train. Yeah, it's it's crazy because it's contagious. You know, like I'm all into like, this is weird. Some people like, I don't know how to describe it right, but the whole vibrational frequency thing. Cause you know, if you, if you, they say your vibe enters the room before you do. Like, so if somebody comes in and they're like really down, you know, it's, I'm real like, I, I just like Chris, especially if Chris is like upset or mad, my emotions go kind of where he's going, Yeah, you know, yeah. but like, I think there's so much true because you can meet somebody you don't even know and you just feel it. I got on the elevator like last week with this couple and I could tell they something was bad wrong. I don't know what it was, but like something was bad wrong. I just wanted off that elevator like because I don't know if they were fighting or getting a divorce, but it was bad, whatever the it was. The kind of nothing says somebody cheated like a joint Facebook account. Like that thing, you <laughs> yes, know, yes. they're going to have a joint Facebook account. Yeah. Yeah. So I read somewhere so many people that were together in high school have hooked back up on Facebook, and I believe it. All the all the more reason to not be on social media. Yeah, the caveman that I am. Um, But let's talk about our childhoods, okay? Because your childhood is fascinating to me. Okay, I'm I'm raised in Southern Baptist Church. Super, no cussing, no drinking, no nothing. Yet there's a similarity. Maybe it's the era, it's the South. Yeah. Um, there's a similarity in the the beatings. That, which, by the way, I don't I don't even know how to feel about whoopings or whatever. But man, God, I got them. Brett was so bad that he just got one every day. It's just like standard. <laughs> but um, I mean, like first of all, and we talked before we got on here about uh, how vulnerable you got to be to write a book like that to go there. It's so freeing, by the way, and everyone gives you a little bit of me too. I think when they hear it, because I. I'm so mine was so strict it was odd in the other way, but there's a lot of similarity in that kind of uh have have you gone back and seen how like like your childhood some of the painful stuff made you like it's hard to explain what I'm trying to ask. I can tell you an example, like being grounded for like three years. Chris has never understood how painful that was, like because all your friends are going places, you're at that age where like you know, I still could cry about it because like everybody's out, you know what I mean? And I'm just stuck in my room. But those years in there, like rotten, gave me a big head start. That's what I was talking about. That is exactly what you just said is how it relates because we weren't allowed to do anything. Yeah. Anything. We couldn't go to movies. We didn't have a TV. We grew up with no television because it was like that. bad for you. Um, I know y'all went to Six Flags and saw a concert or something. Snuck in to see Night what? Ranger. Yeah, so Night great. Ranger. So great. Oh, God. It's still the best, greatest night of my life in I that love kind Night of way. Ranger. But we weren't allowed to do anything. So I was thinking, so the. Like I always say, our strengths are our weaknesses, and I think our shortcomings or are the bad things that happen or where we get the, the the pain is where we get the beauty. So we weren't allowed to go anywhere. We weren't allowed to do anything, and we didn't have a TV. So we played music. Yeah. They there was guitar- matter of fact when they discovered I was playing rock music, they tried to take that away. It was too late. I already had the fever. <laughs> it was gone. But all we did was we we played guitar and we started. And that gave guitar. y'all a giant head start. I mean, and y'all, I'm one of my favorite things about y'all is that you how you work together and how like it's very rare. I don't know if I've ever even seen you without Brett. Like y'all are always. <sighs> this is kind of odd, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, because <laughs> like I mean, have y'all ever written not together? Uh, not since, so we, a couple things, like I wrote a song with my son. He's written a couple songs with his daughters just for, but no, professionally, 
not in like 30 years. Um, when, when our band started in high school, he was just my little brother and, um, I needed a drummer and a singer. So I just told him you're both get back there, <laughs> sing and drum. And I wrote all the songs. And then he started writing some songs. And at some point in our little rock band, we were competing about whose songs that we were going to play. And that's and our, always good. And we started, we said, we're just going to write together so we don't compete over the songs. And we wrote together and we literally have never stopped. 30 we, something years later, 2000 plus songs. And that, y'all just have a magic together. Like I, I was like, Oscar, our son is like, he just turned 20, but he's obsessed with the Beatles. And so like, we've, I've learned a lot about the Beatles I didn't know. And one thing I learned is like Paul McCartney and John Lennon both lost their moms young. And so I think that kind of bonded them in a way where they went into music and they like had that connection and they were competitive too, you know, like, and they're trying to impress each other. But I think something about them losing their moms young, like made them like come together in a different way. It's funny uh, how connected I feel to people who have had loss now and not in some sad way. I I say this all the time, but I like the realization that I'm never going to have a perfect day ever again. is like this freeing thing. Like I know there's no complete day for me. So I stop having expectations about what the world owes me or what mood I'm in. And I'm like, okay, there's something on the other side of this life that I'm looking forward to as much as I am tomorrow here. And and it kind of gives you that it's there. Um, going back to, to the, the partnership, Brett and I doing this together, we always had the, if one can slay a thousand, two can slay 10,000 thing. And uh, Jack Ingram asked me on his podcast, what, you know, why don't you write by yourself ever? I'm like, I don't want any hits by myself. I want them with Brett so we can go play. We play live all the time now. Those corporate shows are like- I heard of, those things so are awesome. Fun. It's so fun. And we we get, if you're in a plane at midnight and it's bouncing on the sky and you get in and you've only had two hours sleep, if you're with your brother, it's like a camping trip. If you're by yourself, it just sucks. Yeah, I, I can't imagine doing a show. Like, I've done a couple without Chris, but it was like Girls in Nashville where, like— He couldn't be there because he had yeah, a penis? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, but we did a show, like, a few months ago, and um, we flew to Kentucky, and it was with Dennis Quaid. And we, you, you guys said this, and I was telling him about it. They all laughed so hard because when the wheels on the plane wouldn't come down— and so, thankfully, I didn't know that much about what that meant, but I knew it wasn't good. Um, like, but <laughs> Unless so, you're landing on the water, that's pretty bad. It was like, I saw Dennis and the guy that was the pilot, because Dennis is pilot too, but they were freaking out and up front. But I was kind of in my own world. It was just those two and Chris and me. And so, Chris said, I need to tell you something, like, um, um, something's wrong. The wheels won't come down. Like this was probably like a few minutes before we were supposed to land. And so they ended up having to go over the airport so they could look up and see if the wheels were down because they were trying to crank them down. And so when we landed, there were all these fire, uh, fire trucks, like all kinds of like paramedic people, because I didn't realize a plane that doesn't have wheels will skid and the sparks will start a fire. And um, yeah. And so that just freaked me out. But I was telling them because I've never forgot what y'all said about Tim acting like crazy on a plane. And and then y'all saying 
we want you to act right because we don't want to be Tim McGraw and friends. <laughs> and that's what I said. We don't want to be Dennis Quaid and friends. In the paper, we will forever be remembered as and friends. Yeah, because yeah. like Tim McGraw and friends died in a plane crash. And at one time he said, uh, he was, never forget this. I, By the way, another thing about after losing someone, I am not afraid to fly at all. Now, yeah. I have always hated flying. Well, not not terrible, but it's, it's never liked it. I could care less now. You can put, you. I'm like, fiery ball through the sky. It's as good a way to go as cancer or whatever. I have a whole new take on it. But it was a time we had just quit drinking. I was nervous as hell. So I had no alcohol and no pills to help me in this flight. And we're flying private out of like uh, Fort Myers or something with, with McGraw. We did it. We opened for him acoustically. So it's this little bitty plane. And this lady uh, was the, it was her first flight as a captain. She had flown in the right seat, but she was flying in the left seat for the first time ever. There is a hurricane Forming around, no, oh it was Fort Lauderdale. Gosh. Hurricane coming around Miami. It, the weather was horrible, blowing us everywhere. And so we're sitting on the runway and they're waiting for a, a, a little crack in the hurricane to fly out. I am literally crapping my pants. It, it, I'm terrified of going. And Tim's yelling at them, take off, just take, come on, let's go. And I'm like, hey, shut up. Was that the time when you said that? So, well, this there's been more times than that because we, we said, but this particular time he said, uh, I said, hey, hey. We don't want to, we don't, I don't want to die in a plane crash tonight. Leave them alone. He goes, well, what if I want to die? And I said, then wait till we land and shoot yourself. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? Oh my God. He literally said that. So we took off in this hurricane trying to catch a crack. And he, he knew at the time I was nervous. So he would just jump on me. And there were, I would never forget. We had Hooters wings to eat for the dinner. And he jumped on me and started wrestling in this little plane that's bouncing all over the sky. And there's orange sauce and Hooters wings flying all over the place. And I'm like, this is the worst three minutes of my entire life. I wanted to kill him. Yeah. He just thought it was funny that it was, yeah. I was a nervous flyer. Anyway, this flying private is not always cracked ones, up to those be. little airplanes, I, I don't like them. I'd rather be on a big airplane. Hey, the guy in Southwest, that pilot has a lot of hours. The person flying that little jet that Tim McGraw is driving around in might be a beginner. Yeah. They don't have I nearly as many. pilots with gray hair. Gray like, hair. Some wrinkles. I want some wrinkles. I want like a mustache and mirror shades, <laughs> you know. Your pilot should look like an aging porn star. When we were in South Africa, we were in the middle of nowhere. I can't remember what we were doing. We weren't going far, but we're, there was this plane. This kid that looked about 16, he gets on the plane. He's the pilot. And it's like, I told Chris, I don't want to fly with him, you know? And then we ended up doing it because we were kind of stuck. But I did not want that kid flying us. It was okay. We weren't going far, but still, it was scary. You don't need that far to crash, to be <laughs> honest. As soon as you get up in the air, Brett and I did that once. We were flying from Boston to some little town in, in uh, Massachusetts, and these two little – it looked like Doogie Hauser and his little brother got on the plane, and we were the only two people on this plane. It was an American Eagle thing with, with propellers, you know. And we were the only two people on this plane. And these little guys, I'm like, are y'all old enough to have a driver's license? They're like, yeah, we're, they were like 21. And they work for American Air. Anyway. It's scary. We lived. They were there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. super scary. Like riding. I don't like those little planes. I really don't. I, I, you know, it's funny. My dad flew those little planes, Cessnas, and he was a pilot. And I kind of got used to them. And it, the, my thing about flying, too, so I'm a control freak. I think probably a lot of us Chris are. Chris is like that. It's the lack of control. I'm just at your mercy. I'm in a car. You're way more in danger. I'm way more scared in a car. When I was driving over here, I realized these cars are nuts. And you never know who's going to do what. And people were going so fast. Like, I had, like, a couple people, you know, just they just go right in front of you. And, like, 
I, I don't know. I get and statistics. I always look at the statistics. But Chris, like, is the same. He wants to be in control. But I'm letting go of that as I'm as I'm getting older. So my like, I have a there's a difference between faith and trust. Yeah. Like faith is, I believe that rickety bridge will will cross that ravine. I believe it will hold me. And then trust is, I'm gonna walk across that rickety bridge. And so now where I am, and I just kind of I, I don't. I, I wasn't, I don't know where you are. I want to find out, but I, I wasn't ever like a big, big, um, we were raised so Southern Baptist charismatic. They spoke in tongues. They laid hands on me until I spoke in tongues, which I really didn't, but I had to get them off of me. So I started blabbering. You I know, remember you all, did all that, yeah. all that stuff. So, um, whatever it was, I was just kind of anti, not anti God, but anti organized religion. And then, but I had faith and, 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 uh, I became Catholic with my wife and, it, I believed it. I have faith, whatever, but I didn't really know. And then when, when saves died, it reverted to trust because I was either going to go give God the finger or go, no, no, I really, really believe in this. And I don't know where you were, like when, like let's say when your, when your dad died, but that thin veil, like it was so, it was so thin between my son and I that I, it's the way I feel him, like being quiet and I'm not good at being quiet. Don't like it, you know? And I sit and I'm quiet. And if I, I feel like if I spend time with God, I'm spending time with Sage yeah. and vice versa. If I spend time with Sage, I feel like I'm spending time with God. I don't know why that is, but I don't, I don't want to know where you are, where you were when, when your dad died. But I would love to hear what you're, because I know you believe in God, yeah. but, and I also oh, yeah. know you're not super religious. So we have a I lot of that in religion, common. To me, religion and spirituality and a relationship with God are completely different. Like Because I think there's so much politics in church sometimes, yeah. especially like the Vatican Church. You know, there's there it's a real political. And um, I don't know that much about it, but I've just heard like how, you know, some of the stuff like how they change the law where— a priest can't get married because they could pass it down, you know, like the real estate. Yeah. And yeah. They're so, protecting real estate. Yeah. But I've always had a real strong relationship, you know, with God, but it's my own little weird one. It's not like something I really learned at church. Cause like I, I was the same way. One side of my family was kind of holy rollers. The other side was hell raisers. So we, it would go between the two. You were bound to be a country songwriter, you know, holy rollers and hell raisers. Have you written that? No, but that's a, <laughs> Holy rollers and hell raisers. It's, it's because I feel like, and you know what's weird? It's like, I wouldn't technically say that the holy rollers were better than the, like the hell raisers. No, I, I kind of tend to like the hell raisers that get into recovery. Um, yeah, <laughs> because like there's something, you know, um, my little brother went to jail and I was asking him this. This is off the subject a little bit, but he was telling me. I was asking him, I was like, he was telling me some of the mean stuff some of the guards did. And I was asking him, well, do you think like they're, the prisoners are worse or the guards? And he said, I would say 10% of the people like in there that are in there for a crime, maybe 10% of them are predators. And I would say like, hey, it was a way bigger percentage like the with guards. the others. Because I think there's a personality type that wants to do that job and be a boss. You yeah, know? yeah. But, and find someone with no power whatsoever. Yeah. Exude that power over them. It's yeah. really like, um, and then it makes me super sad. So many people are in jail for drugs. Like I'm virgin off, but growing up, like the speaking in tongues and stuff, some it will freak you out. I remember my cousin, like, she was raised so religious that um, 
she saw her parents and my grandparents in the front yard and thought it was the rapture, you know, and she flipped out. I mean, because it, it's it'll scare a kid sometimes. If oh, they, I talk like, about it all the time. We we saw a movie, the, the Thief in the Night. It scared the crap out of us. I actually talked about it in my last podcast. It, oh, my God, they scared us to death. I remember being scared of a lot of things. How old were you when church? you started hearing that? It was, you know, in the South, it was the fear of the Lord. That's they want to put the fear of God in people. And it was weird because most Sundays at the church where I went, like they were, a lot of it was the same, you know, like to get the altar call, like it, that yeah. would be the scary stuff right before that. And um, then they would play just as I am until enough people came up there. But I would go down just to get oh, get it done so I could go watch the football game. Yeah, like, yeah. okay. And all I have the to women are looking at their watches like they got a roast in the oven. It's like I got to get home. But um, like, so I think my relationship so with God, I pray every day. You know yeah, what I mean? Me like if, and it's weird because I, I. I'm kind of in the habit. I pray at 11, 11. And it's weird because almost now I look like it's like I naturally know when it's close to that. But that's my time when I say a prayer every day. And if it's past it, I'll do it whenever, like sometime around it. But that I pray every day. I have a strong relationship, I feel like, with God. But at the same time, I do a bunch of stuff I probably shouldn't. You know what I mean? Uh, here's the thing about that. I don't I don't know exactly anything. I have no knowledge, but I have the feeling of what it is. I think that the behavioral part of this is he was giving us those examples as a help for us. Not to, It's not keeping you out of hell or heaven. Our behavior, I don't believe, is all that connected to that. He Like, look, don't steal or no one's going to trust you. Yeah. Don't cheat or you're not going to stay married. Exactly. You know, take care of your vessel and you can live happier and longer with less pain. I mean, there are repercussions to our actions, but I feel like more of more of those things are for our good here. Like yeah. the gospel, Ten Commandments, like, hey, you want to tell you how to have a society? Let me give you 10 little little tidbits on how to not kill each other. Yes. And, and maybe you'll follow that. But Chris and me always talk about like, the words in red in the Bible, those That's are the words that hit me in yeah. the heart that feel true. Some of the stuff, like if you did these days, you'd go to jail. If you're burning animals or cutting people's hands off, you're going to jail. Like, But a lot of the things, like um, the, the things Jesus said just feel true. Right. They and they always true, were like laced me. with love. Jesus' things were, even when he got angry, it was it was laced with love. Um, I wanted to ask too, because we're, and I don't, I, I've read your book. Oh my God. I loved it so much. I, I can't, can't get over how, and so I've actually started reading it again, but I haven't, I've only gotten about a fourth of the way through on the second time. But the, the time you spent in your room as a little girl, when you got, when uh, Mike locked you in your room, you, I equated that to us being home with yeah. nothing to do, learning music. Is that, what, is that when you started being creative? You're like, well, there's nothing else you know, to do. It's weird because I got my first diary. It's always I, I, so much of this I didn't realize till I was writing the book. But I got my first diary like probably five minutes after I found out dad shot himself when I was eight. So that part of it was really like the first words I still remember that I wrote in a diary were. Um, Daddy shot himself, and I spelled it S-E-F. It's in the book, and, and you spelled it. So Merry good. Christmas. I was practicing my cursive. and um, But so I've always written. It's been my ventilation system my whole life. I, 
I felt like after my dad died, if I couldn't write all that, like, and get those feelings out, plus I wanted to write down everything I remembered. Like, I wanted to hold those memories. You know, uh, great writers journal. I need to journal more. I don't enough, but I know you've always been that. And you, you, you always have a plethora of ideas and you have visions and you describe them. And there's something really, really uh, unique about your, the fact that you don't sit down and play the piano makes you a better writer because you've put yourself into that, that thing as, as I get older and even look back on it, that, that endless supply of ideas you have comes from you just being creative. And I could, when you were in that, I'm like, Oh, that's where it started with her. I could see it. You in that bedroom. Oh, there's nothing else to do here. I'm going to, uh, and I don't, I don't, it's when I went looking for a writing deal, like I was probably 23, I guess. And there were publishers that they were just like, you don't really, I was thought, I thought I was tone deaf because my dad told me that, which didn't make sense to me because I would sing like solos at school. And I was like, well, why? But then my dad's like, if you're tone deaf, you don't know you're tone deaf. So there's no way to, you know, know the difference. And so when I, when I got, like when I would go to those publishing meetings, like I had a few publishers say, well, you don't sing, you don't play an instrument. I don't know what you, I, this don't, I don't know what you'll do. But then I realized pretty quick that have you ever been sitting in there and need the music? I mean, it's not the it music. It falls out. The, it's it the idea. Out. I mean, you could be in there with the most talented people in town and if you don't have a good idea, you're kind of just stuck. We always say writing songs is easy. Having a good idea is hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it literally is. And and you and Liz Rose are the best examples of like the greatest songwriters, two of my favorite songwriters in, in the world, in Nashville, where, where we are, and that don't necessarily need to play or sing. There's so many more ideas because honestly, once we start playing, my head goes into guitar land and I forget about all these. And that you're right. The music, do we ever, do we ever go, man, we had a great lyrics. We just couldn't think of any music to go with it. It's, no, we don't do that. It's crazy how that is. There was one idea I had for four years and I bugged Jaron Johnson to death about writing that idea because I felt like I should write it with him because I got it from a post he did online he had lost his dog, and, like, when I read it, and he had all these pictures, um, we had lost our dog not long before, and I was just like, and you see the post all the time of people, like, I lost my best friend, you know, and all that, and so I knew there was a ache out there for a song like that, and then the funny thing is I, I bugged him for years, and he just wasn't interested. Well, then i I lured him in with Tom Douglas. <laughs> I got Tom Douglas. Tom Douglas' bait. Yeah, because yeah. I know Tom is like, he worships the ground Tom walks on. So I knew, like, with Tom, I could get him. So we had a writing appointment like two days later. And we did it on Zoom. It was my first Zoom oh. co-write. But the wild thing, I love the song, too. And the wild thing is Jaron couldn't even sing it, like, without crying. We wow. had to wait for him oh, to do the work tape. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, that's so good. I didn't even know you wrote that. I just thought Tom sent it or. Yeah. I, oh, and so, that that's song, such a great like, song. And because I felt like there wasn't, you see so many people, you know, that lose their dog. And, like, a dog is. Like, I've got my dog girlfriend. She's about to have to start chemotherapy, and she's 10. And, like, but they're just your buddy all the time. I told Chris, the only ones that are always nice to me in this house are girlfriend and Batman. They're happy to see me every time I come in. They can't speak. They might be faking. You never know. <laughs> they might be faking. Yeah, Batman just wants food. I don't think he loves anybody. Mm -hmm. He just wants to be fed. Loves anybody. 
So how old were you? When, okay, so your dad shot himself when you were really young, but he didn't, it didn't die. Yeah, and so then like 20 years later, he died in a hotel room. Yeah, and it, to me, like I've thought about this a lot, like, and y'all, y'all would know, like, there, it's, it's really like when, I, I don't know, like, I don't know which is more painful. I think I kind of do, but I'm not really sure. But like when you lose somebody, and they're sick for a long time, you get to say the things you want to say and you're you're more prepared. When you lose somebody in a shocking way, it adds a whole nother thing. I mean, because like, you know, you don't know the last time you're talking to them. Yeah. And, and it's like a whole, I mean, to me, it shook reality to me. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's part of why I had to get m- my faith and trust thing in line because I had to go, he's got to know how I feel because I didn't get the chance. It's funny. The morning that of the day that Sage died, the truth is he was probably already gone when I sent, but I sent him a text and it's this, this daily reflection that, that uh, it's a recovery book that I read every morning. And it just said the last line of it was uh, today. You have the freedom to be the best or today. I had the freedom to be the best me I've ever been. And that was my last. And I said, hey, I'm not trying to be Grandma Barbara, who's my mom. And she's she's the preacher. So she's, and I said, I'm not trying to be Grandma Barbara, but I read this this morning. I thought about you. And I sent it to him. And the truth is, he was probably, that's probably right about the time that he was, that he was going. And I didn't know it. And I'm like, oh, please ha- let him have read that before he went. And then I have to get myself to the place where I go, no, he knows that. Oh, he like, knows he's that. where he knows it. And I've got to feel that he knows it. And it's, it's funny because I was telling, uh, well, I'm not going to say. I was telling someone that the signs that I had. He is funny. Uh, he always had 9/11 on his phone. But he would just notice. Oh, 9/11. He just did it all the time. I see 9/11s all the time. It's funny. You said now I just notice 11s. They're everywhere. But he always noticed when it was 9/11. Oh, it's 9/11. I don't know why he did that. He never explained it. It was just what he did. I will be at a crossroads in something, and I'll know the right thing to do, but it's some sort of. And, I, and I'll look at the phone, and it's 9/11. It's crazy. Crazy. Well, I will be watching the football game and the clock will stop on 9-11. Um, the microwave will stop on 9 I mean, it's insane how much the numbers thing is playing. But I have to know he's here. But I was telling somebody about these signs and they said, well, whatever you need to make you feel better. And I wanted to go. I want to slap him in the you. face. Yeah. yeah. I just I just was like, no, no, no. You don't understand. This is like the most real thing I've ever felt before is this person from that. Um, I, you were you were probably in your twenties still when your dad died. Yeah, I think I was. The crazy thing when dad died was like, um, it was a really crazy time because dad died. It was so like shocking because there was like a hundred people there, and I mean, like there, everybody's coming up. You know, first of all, I I really remember the thing the cops said to me. I, I don't know if I was in shock or what, but that was the first time in my life I've not been able to pray. And I, my brother was praying, and we were both sitting on a curb, and my heart just wouldn't let me pray. It would not. It would not. It was like a. It was like a void. I, and I pray about stupid stuff, and and I just couldn't pray. So something in me knew, but at the same time, when that cop told me, like, and the way he told me, I can still hear his words. Like, he's like, well, you do know your father's deceased. Like, it was like he called me a dumbass and an idiot at the same time he's telling me, you know, this this news that, like, 
but I, I didn't know that. I did for some reason. I didn't. I mean, I guess deep inside, maybe I did, but like, like intellectually, I was a shock. You were in shock. Yeah, I was in shock. Yeah, and and so like, um, the thing like with the shocking thing, the it's like it just adds a whole nother confusing element to it, and um. The thing I think about sometimes, like, my dad was so nuts that we would go back and forth, you know, all the time. But I sometimes think about that it helps me. Like, I think about myself. Like, if if something happened to me, I would hope all the people around me know, you know what I mean, how I feel. That, like, love is way deeper than stupid little stuff. You know, it's a—and so I would I would just have to believe, and I do believe, that— you know, Sage knew exactly how much y'all loved him. And my dad knew how much, I I mean, because you have a relationship outside all of this other stuff in this one moment. Yeah, yeah. And and the accidental thing and the, the, the suddenness of it, it does give you that, oh, God, I wanted to say. But the truth is that he, Sage, got sober for a year before COVID. And everything that's so th- I, you know it's funny. So t- 2019 was my favorite year. I did, while it was happening, I'm like, this is the best year of my life. It was, it was just my the best year. It was, it was, and I I didn't realize it was his last year. But he had gotten sober. He went to rehab, and and um, I got to say everything I did. Yeah. You know, I mean, not 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 with the amount of time that I would have spent on it, and the, the day that he that he passed I would have changed changed myself to him and he you know we would have been fine because I would have not let him go but you can't change yourself to someone forever you have to but I did get a year of and I got to see him at his absolute best he's just this amazing human being and this amazing guy and kid and protective son and brother He, he great to his grandparents great to his mother he's like this protective kid and and I got to tell you know we just got to talk about everything. We we went to twelve uh, step meetings together all the time. It was awesome, and I thought that that was just beginning of his life. Like it was it. And the truth is, it was just a gift to me. Yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, if y'all doing all that, they know how. I mean, you know what I mean. They yeah, know yeah. how much we love them. And what's crazy too is people just say stupid stuff. Like I think so many people don't know what to say, and then. And then some people just like, like just I know how you feel. My cat you. died last yeah, week. Yeah, they'll <laughs> just shock you with something stupid like that. And um, it's it's really crazy. But I felt the same way as you. After my dad died, I felt like I just was connect more connected to people who had been through loss. You know, if if somebody's been through loss, then you could talk to them about it, even if it's no matter who it is, if it's their sister or it, no matter who, because Chris's sister, um, she died like, and it was really horrible because his parents were at our house when they found out. And Levi was little. He was like about four. And just the hideousness of watching them find out. Um, Levi was so little and he was like, did did BB's heart just break? That's what he said. And I mean, like, I didn't know what to tell him. And it was a shock too. It was a shock too. I remember the the girl that was our nanny ran out of the studio and um she said, You need to come in. Something's happened with Noel. And um the words they just get frozen in your mind, you know, like something's happened and she's like, she's gone, you know, and then and then it just happened to be that his mom and dad were there and it was just like because it just 
is so unfair. It, it is. And I don't like, I always say, I don't know that it's better to have two years to say goodbye to someone dying of cancer or I to get either, a sudden you thing. You got to watch them suffer all that time. You know, I've learned some things that just start, don't have answers. One of them is if you, if you lost your baby as a stillborn newborn, or you lost your, your 80 and your kid is 60 and you lost them, it still has a similar sting. Yeah. It's, it's just not the natural progression of events. Yeah. It just isn't normal. And so when somebody older loses a kid that's older, I'm jealous of the time they got to spend yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. And when someone loses a baby, I'm jealous because they didn't have to know them as much yeah. as I knew this guy. Um, you know, and you, what you feel yours, like I feel mine. And the truth is we're kind of left with it. When I'm in the right, okay, when I'm in the wrong place, I'm, I miss him. I miss him every day. I miss him every second. Right. And, and I'm, I'm sad. I'm not really good at being sad, but I'm good at being angry. I can get, just get mad. But on a, and so that, that happens. That does happen. But on a good day, um, on a good day, I'm just, I'm like so cool with everyone dying. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, Lola said to me one time and she was little and it kind of just jarred me because I think she must have been about seven. And um, I was talking about something. Somebody had died. She could have even been five. And she said, Mama, everything dies. I mean, she gets it. That's and it, it was just like, that's actually true. I mean, everything dies. We're all going to die. You know, like, and um, like, it breaks my heart when I see families that that um, just quit talking to each other. You oh. know what I mean? Like, that just get distanced or whatever. I can't think of that word when, when they just, I mean, because they could have had that time. It's just, yeah, it's just, and there's nothing, there's nothing that should separate you from your, I mean, I can't even think of anything. I, I have, I'm, I'm capable of more grace for a human being than I've ever been. I may not still be great at it, but I'm capable of being, of having empathy for almost anyone now. I'm better at everything. I'm, I don't, I don't mean like I'm a better water skier and yeah, I know what you mean, golf though. and shit like that. I just mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a better husband, a better father, a better friend, uh, a better truth teller, a better truth teller in a kind way is to not hurt somebody. Um, all of those things that would be important, it makes me better because I feel like he's here with me. Yeah. Getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, getting comfortable with suffering. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of okay with not being okay. Like in these ways, and that's a gift. Those are those are gifts that you take along. And I know that there are moments, I'm sure that you probably have moments where like I'm, I'm, I'm mad at him. Like you you been you're so close to how you just you screwed up for two weeks and i'm sure that you you have the mixed emotions about your dad because i as i read that book i'm like this is the guy you love and you're just the whole movie you're waiting for him to yeah you're waiting for him to screw up big time you know what i mean just and i know he loved me there was something somebody said that i loved like in in um a review or something they said well, I never doubted for a minute your dad loved you. You know, he might have been like almost killing me left and right with stuff he did that was dumb. That was like he just wasn't thinking or whatever. But he did love me and I know he did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I loved him. And like one thing, you know, when Busby died, like yeah. it was it, it just seemed to happen so fast. I went back and I was looking at my last text with him and he had cut this song we wrote for this TV show, and I was gripping because he didn't put a real cello on it. And, and like, the demo, cello's my favorite. And and I was just like, well, you can just 
feel the cello like in your body versus like some keyboard cello. So we're going back and forth. And then when I heard the record he made, I loved it. Um, But I just heard he didn't use a real cello is what I was texting him about. But I looked at our last text together and the last words he said to me were, I love, I love you. Tell Chris, I love him. Ever since then, I tell everybody I love them, even if it's weird and I hadn't known them that long. I but do I too. Do. I think I make other men uncomfortable because I'm like, I love you, man. Because I would <laughs> I want, love you too. I would dude. want that to be the last words I said yeah, to somebody. Yeah. Well, and if I don't love them, I don't. I mean, I do yeah, love. Exactly. I do I love. I know them. what you mean. It's, it's genuine, but I like. Here's I got a couple rules. One thing is, if you have something to say about somebody's kid that's good, say it to them. Yeah. Parenting is so hard. If you have a good thing to say about someone's kid, tell them. Like, actually, I want to tell you, I love uh, Jude. My son loved Oscar. Your son, they got. And Oscar loves Jude. A year apart in high school, and I, here's my favorite thing about Oscar. Like he, he's telling. They were talking about music, and Jude's like, "Hey, I play a little bit." He's, "You don't play guitar with your dad. You don't play. You're, you're playing guitar. You hear me?" So Jude would like come home and yeah, Oscar told me I need to play guitar. I'm gonna practice. <laughs> she like made him practice, but I love how the creativity in your house is such a must, and just what a. What a sweet kid and the, the, the kind of quirky relationship. They they met in weightlifting class, but I don't think either of them were probably the all-stars at it. And He um, loves Sage, too. I mean, sorry, Sage. I got Sage on my mind. But he loves you, too, because he's telling me today to tell him, hey. And he was, like, saying, like, he would come home and just tell me different things. He thought he was hilarious. Like, that's, you know, he tells me things that he said that he just come home. He's like, He's so funny. And I'm like, well, no wonder he's funny. You know, his yeah. his like uncle and dad are really funny. He has no choice. He had to survive in this house. But the truth is, if you're going to tell somebody, like I'm going to tell everybody good thing about their kids. I'm going to tell the people that I love, I love them. I'm going to spend my time the way I think I ought to be spending my time. It doesn't mean like I'm just leaving everyone hanging all the time. But I don't, I used to walk around with like this apologist all the time. Well, I'm so sorry for that. And trying to spread yourself too thin. And I'm like, no, I'm be where my feet are. Like I have learned to live in the moment through grief. And I'm, I have been terrible about living in the moment just because. I'm terrible. I live in the future a lot. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld, everyone wants to be somewhere else. That's why you guys write so good together, because the future, no one wants to write about Oscar, the present. I was asking Oscar, like, a few weeks ago, I was like, well, can you tell me, like, three things? He was he was saying, like, he was mad because Chris and me had been fighting, like, and I can't even remember what we were fighting about. I think it was something to do with money. And so, like, Oscar was like, I, I asked, he was like, y'all are just fighting too much. And I said, well, what, tell me three things that could make, you think would make me better at at this. And he was like, well, he's like, you just live in the future. I just, I want you to live in the now. Cause I'm always worrying about, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Like you're me. We, we worry about money. I want everything paid off. I don't want any debt of any kind. Especially the way things are now. I mean, they're so unpredictable. There was a guy the other day that um, like, it's just some things will just grab you and pull you into like, What's what you know, things that are happening with money because we had ordered some Uber Eats and Lola always looks up who the delivery person is. And um, it was a songwriter that had written hits and and something about that, you know, it just it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, those times when I'm what, what was the, the Abraham Lincoln quote? I, I I've been uh, driven. To, some days I've been driven to my knees for I have nowhere else to go. Um, sometimes I get 
more square with God in life by not having the best financial year I've ever had and not have be a little surrender going. Yeah. Hey, do it really is this really what I, by the way, I've been very blessed. You've been, we're all, we're all ex- extremely blessed and we have, we have more than we need and we, and, and a lot of times more than, more than we want, but I can get all into what I, so I'm trying to like what I, I, I politically and, I, I'm, I agree with this side on this point and this side on that point. I want everyone to handle their finances like I do because I'm pretty yeah. good at it and just be responsible, you damn, you know, you crazy people. And the truth is I I can learn from just just relax and you, maybe you don't get exactly what you want this month or this year. So, yeah. There's a, and that's how you react to it too. Like you're, we we're talking about, about like, you know, um, it's hard being songwriters because we ain't got no control over anything i mean like you can get a call like i was telling somebody you can be doing cartwheels in the yard you get a call you got a single and then you can get a call the wreck it didn't make the record you know and you thought you were getting a single one one thing i heard like it made me think of it when you said something about politically i i don't like I'm I'm nothing as far I don't like politicians. Period. I don't yeah, care yeah, what they creepy, are. Yeah, they're pretty creepy. I don't believe them. I think yeah. they're all out for themselves. But um, this quote that I heard um, Joe Biden say that I do believe that Joe Biden has he he understands grief. He's lost at least two kids, maybe more. I don't know. He lost his son that he said was like his soulmate. But then he had. When he was younger, some of like he might have lost two more kids. He's all yeah. wife and kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wife and yeah, kid. Yeah. So he knows about grief. But he said this thing, and it's probably my favorite thing I've heard about grief. Um, he said the day will come when um, when you think of them, and before a tear hits your eye, a smile crosses your lips. I might have mm. messed that up wow, a little bit. That's good. But that's literally the smartest thing I've ever heard him say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's really it's re- that's really good because somebody said that as time goes by, the good memories outweigh the grief of, or not outweigh the grief, but outweigh the sadness. Like your the smile comes first. Yeah. That's really good. Um, I didn't I, do that quote justice. It's it's worded better, but that's the gist of it. Yeah. You know, like and that's that's what you'd hope for everybody that that because like the good does outweigh the bad. You know, like I mean the good memories. Well, so I sat in here with this my group of dads, and um, there was probably like twelve guys in here, and and I said, um, would you do all if you could do start all over again? and just not have that child, would you not have that child? Because it's a lot of heartache wrapped up in where we are right now. It's the worst thing ever. Would you, if you could start over, would you just have not had a child? And of course the answer is, of course I would still have that child. I would take the years I got, whether the years were 16 or 35, you know. So that being said, the grief is worth it somehow because in a room full of guys, Nobody would have foregone the idea of having that child, knowing that the worst thing in the world was going to come up. There's something to be said in that. And I'm like, if you don't believe in God, that's God. Because that kind of love, I don't I don't know uh, dogmatically. I just don't know. I don't know. Somebody's wrong. Everyone's arguing about stuff I don't care about. But there's a God. And and I, I believe in Jesus. I can imagine whole night. not praying. I mean, I can't imagine not believing in something. If there wasn't a God, how possibly would you love something that much that you would want to go through all the misery you're going through just so that you could know them? That's that's enough God for me to know that it's there. 
Um, yeah, it's, that's a really that's a really good point to bring up because that those smiles will outweigh the the sad part. At some point, I mean, I'm I'm two years in, and it's not like I have a great day every day, but most days. And I can when like my wife's grandfather died; he was 97. Um, and I was like, you know, saves up 21 years, and he lived 97. And right now, standing here, they're both just as gone. Yeah. We're all going to die. Yeah. It's just not that big of a deal. I mean, it's yeah. it's a big deal, but it's not. It's just not. It's not everything. How we live is so much more important than whether or not we die at any certain time. And and I, I don't know. I'm kind of. Uh, I, I feel myself drawn not only drawn to people who have lost, but also like having a hard time um, relating to people that don't. You yeah, know? yeah. You know what I mean? I want you to have lost somebody or be an alcoholic or I just don't know how to talk to you anymore. Yeah, yeah. I've been turning it's, to that guy. I kind of feel that way with people, somebody that hadn't been through anything. I don't even know what to talk to them about. I, I don't know how to connect with them, I guess I'd say. Like the guy that talks about, the, you know, the, the sports teams, my kids all play. The guy that's talking about what, what kind of turf builder he used on his lawn to make it greener, I'm like... <laughs> I don't know, man. When it rains, the lawn's green. When it doesn't rain, it's brown. I, 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 that's all I have to say on that I like subject. That too. I'm like Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah Charlie Brown's teacher is talking. I want to ask you about a couple things about about your movie, and I want to ask you about Dana Perino. I love her. I love. I've her always too, been man. a fan. I think she's one of the coolest, like uh, common sense political analysts or whatever it is she's she's doing. I know who she was like at all because I don't like I don't like politics I don't I hate the news like I mean yeah, I, I don't either I don't like politics I'll watch either. the news but it always makes me sad so I'm a libertarian like, and that pretty much gives the finger to everybody yeah me too yeah. I, I don't know what my label would be but I just don't like any of them I mean that sounds bad but yeah. I just don't the only I, reason I, I lean conservatives because I just want less of them I don't think they care <laughs> what we really want no of course they don't I no. mean all they want to do is get reelected. hey by the time you get into that power place, you have done some awful things. Exactly. Awful things. Because you have to do things to get there. That, yeah. Like, I don't think anybody's ever been president that wasn't really messed up. Oh, this, I, I think you literally have to have done some really horrible things to, to wind up in that. taking money from all these people. It's like, are you going to take money and not give them something? No, you're going to yeah. be giving them something. When I sponsor the baseball team, I want my son to be the shortstop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's exactly. just that simple. That's how it goes. I mean, exactly. Yeah. And if you're the coach of the team, you're going to be, you know, like, but what were you asking me? Dana so, Perino, we were talking oh, yeah. about. So we got a, we have great rabbit trails, by the way. I've enjoyed these. Uh, Dana Perino, just how, how did you wind I up meeting her. her? You know, it's not really fair because you and JT Harding are friends with Dana Perino. You didn't know who she was. And we love her. And I, I don't, I've never met I have to, next time she comes here, y'all have to come over. Um, She came like, I saw her. She came over a few months ago. But the weird thing, okay, so Scott Hendricks, who's the producer of, like, all these, you know, like, Shelton, like he's had, yeah. like, 70 number ones as a producer. Well, he called me one day, and he was like, Amy, and I thought, he's only called me one other time, so I thought I was getting a Blake cut. Like, I was, like, through the roof thinking, I'm going to get a Blake single, because the first time. Yeah, when Scott Hendricks calls, it's either really good or really bad, well, right? Well, the only time <laughs> he had ever called me was to tell Tell me our song was going to be the next single. Yeah. So when I saw his name on the caller ID, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I was so excited. And then he said, um, I think you should send your book to this girl, Dana Perino. And I was like, who is that? And he's like, she's a big deal, you know, and telling me about her. And um, so then, like, 
I was I sent the book to her and Scott is funny because Scott loves the book. And um, he said, and I was like, I can't believe you read the book because he's such a workaholic. And um, he's like, I can read. That's what he said to me. But so he sent the book to Dana. <laughs> She's probably helped me more than anybody. Like at Christmas around Christmas time, she was she's talked about the book on TV a few times. And when she talked about it at Christmas, it shot up. It was like on the it was on the bestseller list, like just for a couple of days. That's but, where I heard her because I don't I don't I try not to watch the news, but that particular show that she's on has someone from both sides. Which is not, it's Chris not really, watches that. And that's show. why I watch it because it has something from both sides, and I don't really watch it that much. But it's and it's funny. There's some humor on it. And she kept talking about, oh, my God, she loves this book. And I think it might have been before I even read it. Because, you know, uh, I got a copy in the mail, whatever. Anyway, when I did start reading it, I could not put it down. So I, I nobody's going to read that book and not love it unless they just don't like stories or they don't want to hear yours. <laughs> it I mean, makes it's, me happy when guys like it. Because, like, there's been a lot of guys that have liked it that, like, Jamie Johnson loves that book. I mean, he's such a burly dude. Like, that he when he was telling me, he just was raving about stuff. And I was just, like, so happy because— It's true because it's where—you you are— rainbows and pink stars fall into the sky and i mean even but you're not like uh your your songs have grit and so I've does your story like, i've always for some reason i've never understood it chris and me talk about it but my ideas come like from a male perspective i i kind of think that's because i grew up listening to music with my dad and all my influences were male that's kind of what i've come up with but like out of out of songs being cut they're 90 percent guys but you you have this uh, like strawberry icing on the top of your cake, whatever it is. It's like it's 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 there's glitter to your thing, but it's it's also gritty. Your 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 story is gritty. I, I don't. I never even it never even thought and and when I was reading that book that it wasn't it was super masculine in a lot of ways because you saw, but I, it's just the way you wrote it. I mean, it, it just went. It was. I was entertained the whole time beyond the fact that I was like, holy cow, I need to call Amy and give her a hug because this is a lot of shit for someone to go through. <laughs> and, and the truth is, as you get older and um, start dealing with your, your your crap, I don't know anyone that doesn't have, hasn't had a really big baseball bat to the face before. Oh, yeah. Life is tough. I mean, it just is. And you're either honest about it and learn how to write a book about it or, me, or hey, we write, we write songs about it all the time. I love what you said earlier about like when you're vulnerable, you give somebody else permission to be vulnerable. And that's a beautiful thing because that's how you can connect. You don't really connect, I don't think, unless you're talking about something that matters. The, the thing I miss about writing with you and Chris the most, we haven't been together in a few years, is the, the talks that we'd have. Because yeah. we'd all, there's something about writing songs with people. And when you write with someone, you get to stuff that regular people just don't, you know, if you're working for a landscape company, you don't get into that conversation. We just get into each other's souls and beings, which probably helps. But I agree. If, if you're vulnerable, you give other person permission to be. And then all of a sudden there's a real a real dialogue going on. And then we, you know, kind of heal. I, go ahead. Oh, I've always felt like I like I write better with people that I can't even write really with somebody you can't be honest with. Like if somebody's doing something like, and it's, and I don't, it's confusing me and I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? And then if I can tell them 
I don't think I'm the one for this idea. I think there's some in this idea, but this ain't my thing. You know, like if I can't tell them that or if they couldn't tell me, I don't think you've got that quite right. You know, this idea. Then Then you're not close enough to write with them or you don't have enough respect for each other. And some people like my biggest thing is like, I got, Chris was like, I love that quote. And he put it up. But ego is weakness. Ego is going to mess you up in the writing room. Like, because you're like, if somebody's got an ego, you can't really, I mean, everybody's got an ego. But if somebody's like, just, I know one time I wrote with Harley Allen, who's one of my favorite. I know the name, but I don't know. He passed away, but boy, he's got some songs. He's got this one about when he goes to heaven, he hoped he could clean out. God's garbage cans or something. It was just like, he's a great, great, or he was a great, great writer. He wrote The Baby. Oh, but, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he yeah. wrote so many hits, but um, I was writing with him one time and I was so lucky to write with him because he didn't write with hardly anybody, but I kind of stalked him. And um, when we were writing, I told him, I was like, that line's a little clunky. And he goes, and, and then about 20 minutes later, I said something. He's like, now that damn line's clunky. <laughs> he was just so like, he just held on to it. But we ended up writing a crazy song. I think it was called Puddin'. It was nuts. Puddin'. One of the first times we wrote with Don Schlitz, and we were green and young and lucky Don to get Schlitz. in with Don Schlitz. And we were writing, and I go, I don't know if that really makes sense. And he looked at me and he goes, did you write The Gambler? And I said, he goes, no, no, that's right. I did. And I said, touche. You got me, man. Go ahead. <laughs> the first time did I ever wrote with Jim Lauderdale, do you know him? Oh, yeah. He's funny. He's okay. funny. Yeah. I, like, I didn't know that much about him. I was probably about 24, 25, and, and he lived at the Union Station Hotel. So I went there, and we were sitting in there writing, and I told him something, like, because he's a— character, you know, and like, I told him something about, I don't know about that. He just took his notebook and threw it at the wall. He was just kidding. He was just, you know, and I didn't, but I didn't know what to think. I was so young, but he just threw it so hard at the wall. And, and then like, I realized he's joking. You know what I mean? He was Okay. He's the guy that would be on the trip. cell phone and you'd walk up and you'd say, hey, Jim, he'd go, hold, hold on, Shania, let me, <laughs> hey, guys, I'll be right with you. He just, that's, fun. that's funny. I'm going to do that, throw the notebook yeah, against the wall thing. That's so great. good. Because he threw it so hard and it flipped me out. I did. I, if I you just, really commit to the joke, it has yeah, so much more effect. He totally did. Oh, that's funny. That is so funny. God, he's a funny guy. Oh, okay, I want to ask you two questions. Um, I want to ask everyone that comes on, and, and this, you can think about it for a second, but. What's the worst thing that ever happened to you? And what's the best thing that came out of that? And if it's something really horrible and nothing good came out of it, I, maybe we'll be stuck. I, do you, should I just tell you the first thing that popped in my head? Yeah, sure. I, absolutely. I, I mean, this is really messed up and conflicting, but I feel like the worst thing that ever happened, th- this is just what came in my head. Um, yeah. But I feel like the worst thing that ever happened to me was falling in love with Chris while he was married. Because that was torturous. And I think what made that worse than losing my dad and and a lot of other things in a personal way was that you can't control that other stuff. But this, like, I just wish I had been, you know, like, stronger. And we had this crazy emotional affair, like, and, and we just couldn't stay away from each other. Yeah. And so, like... And what's come from it is well, 22 years and kids and, and the love of my life. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. So that, like, 
that's what popped in my head. That is so And I had so much guilt. It, it, nothing put me in therapy till that. Really? And that is, I, I don't know what's supposed to be, but I mean, in the world that is right, you and Chris Lindsay are supposed to be together. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, things happen in a bad order. I don't even know how that goes for, for everybody, but it's, it's, that's funny that that, that would give you so much guilt. Cause once it's, it was done, it's, it's just done. Like, like, like something we is- just literally couldn't stay away from each other. We, and mainly the biggest part is he's my best friend. And it's, it is awesome how, see, y'all were best friends and you became, fell in love. And my wife, we, I fell in love with her and then I became an alcoholic and should, she should have left me and, and didn't. And we got back and now we're best friends yeah. here. But the, at the end of the day, you're in love with a person and your best friends or you just don't make it. You just don't. So that being said, it probably feels like the truth to me is that what Chris was going through with someone that wasn't his best friend wasn't going to last anyway. Well, it's and they so hadn't hard. been married that long. Maybe I'm justifying, but they hadn't been married that long. They were already having problems. You know what I mean? Like they, they weren't, I don't think there was any chance they were going to make it, but I just wish that I had been stronger and I've, I've apologized and stuff, you know, but still it was like to her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For a long time ago. I mean, yeah, uh, probably. You're such a good pro- person. Probably 10 times. <laughs> you are. You are. <laughs> I just thought there's nothing that hurts as bad as hurting somebody else, you know, like, and it really, and not only that, it went completely against who I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's one thing I see, I see our kids say, well, I would never, you know what I mean? Like you hear people say things and you also, you live a little longer and you realize Actually, you don't know what you're going to do about anything until like, like we're always talking about what if this happened or what if that happened? And you don't know. I mean, you don't know what you would do. You don't know. And that is really how we find the right kind of humility is by going, I, I thought I was never going to do that. And then I did. And some bad, some worse. Uh, I had a, a deal with God. If you ever, I've been sober a long time. If you ever take one of my kids, I'm drinking again. All bets are off. That is I'm, if you take one of my kids and they die before me, I am drinking again. And I haven't, and I haven't wanted to, but I was, so I, that was a good one because I thought if one of my kids dies, I wouldn't know how you would, I would have predicted I would lose my mind, start drinking again and, and ruin everyone else's life. And I, and I would be in jail and by, for just for my behavior. And then other times you think, oh, I know I would, I would do that. Right. And you just, it just doesn't work out that way. And that's, that's how we get humble. I think it's okay to not know what we're going to do. And Hey, we're, we're all a bunch of mistakes, but that's that is actually the the most interesting example of the 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 worst thing that happened and the best thing that came out of it. Because and and the wild thing is like Chris and me, we got to. Here's the crazy thing about life: I don't know that I would have made it through my dad's death without Chris. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, I just don't like. And the weirdest, craziest part is that. Like, probably, I think the day of my dad's funeral, I found out I was pregnant. I mean, so my emotions were With just Levi? nuts. Yes. And then when Levi was born, I remember telling Chris, I think I just had my dad. He looked just like my dad. He looked just like my dad. <laughs> he still looks just like my dad. He, like, stands like my dad, pulls his pants up like my dad. I mean, it's like he just looks, he's so much like my dad. Oh, gosh. That's He'll so give funny. me a look that just looks just like my dad. I mean, it's really crazy. Are you, did you get mad at your dad? Is he, I mean, what? How, how do you reconcile? 
what part you mean? Well, I mean, like, well, for me. I was always mad at him on and off. I was going to say, there's a multifaceted for leaving, but also for like, damn it, you're such a good guy. You're so funny and interesting, but you could have been a better dad while you were doing that. You could still be crazy and still be. I never really got mad at him like for that. I would get mad at him for things like, like he was always the kind of dad that would like, if he got mad at me, he'd just take my car away and then I wouldn't get it back. You know what I mean? When I was in high school. Yeah. And like, so I'd get mad at him for stuff like that, but it's weird because I always felt like he couldn't help it. Yeah. Yeah. I like when he, when he, when he didn't show up to pick you up when you were little. Yeah. Those kind of things. You're just like, that's just who he was. And maybe I, maybe it took a while to get like, you know, to get kind of through it. But you know that quote, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if I would even apply that to him, but I would apply it to some of the people in my mom's side of the family. Yeah. That they, you know, usually somebody doing really screwed up stuff kind of had really screwed up stuff happen to them a lot of times. That's why I think it's interesting about you. I pointed out earlier because your fork in the road, you could have been hurt people, hurt people. And you're, you're, you're so the other way that you actually feel bad about that one decision. It's obviously become the right one. You know, God uses everything he wants to, you know, we, we let him, but that's uh, you, you chose a separate path because you could have been, I, I feel like I could be pissed off about how I grew up and it's, and it's, based on the religion things. What but let me ask you something. So at the same time, how you grew up and the people around you, if you look at that, like sometimes I think about where I came from, like half my cousins are in jail. You know what I mean? Like I think about where I came from and just feel so grateful like that, that I've ended up, you know, how I did. And I mean, it was a lot of hard work and, and sacrifice in a lot of ways, but everybody, everybody has stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, and so you came out of this really strict, you know, but look at the people around you. I think a lot of ways that the way you grew up just gave you the internal strength to just make it in this business. Uh, you know what? That's a great point. I never thought of it, but how we grew up in our church weirdness, not, not good people, good people just kind of like, when someone left our church, they were kind of uh, persona non grata. Just the, the, it is really kind of did prepare us for the music business because yeah. you don't really know how to act around some people. You're like, uh, am I cool today or not? You know, it's just, a, it's a very odd thing to go through. Um, but there's a lot of similarity because that area of time, like uh, there, there was all kinds of bad stuff going on at our little redneck church. And this is the church, like the, the pastor like brought his dog in and because it drank paint thinner, we laid hands on the dog so that it wouldn't die. I mean, that literally happened. The dog didn't die either, which is pretty <laughs> interesting. Um, this, so it was like not snake handling, but not, but you know. It'll scare you as a kid when somebody starts speaking in tongues because it is crazy. Everything's scary. I mean, I told somebody you don't ever want to go to church in a tent in the South because it's going to get crazy. Yeah. If you go to church in a tent in the South, there's going to be some snakes. People are going to be speaking in some tongues, and there's going to be a lot of button-up shirts with short sleeves. My cousin went to the, had to take her daughter to the emergency room. This, this just like, I've never forgot it. She had to take her daughter to the emergency room in my hometown. And this was the cousin who was raised so, so religious, the rapture thing. Okay, so she takes her daughter to the emergency room, and there was a guy in front of her, and he had on a T-shirt that had a frying pan on it 
with flames and all these people burning in hell screaming. And the shirt said um, something about hell ain't a party. It's one big barbecue. That's what it said on the shirt. And the guy had been snake bit that was in front of her. That's why he was at the emergency room. So like they're, you know, Oh, There's, snake bit from a church service. I guess so. Like, but he was snake bit. She was like, this is, you're not even going to believe this. I saw a shirt and then I saw, found out he was snake bit. You remember the tracks, the little tracks? We had out tracks, that little story of a guy that was smoking cigarettes and drinking and he was going to go to hell and he would meet the Satan. It, it was like a get saved track. They just called him track. What do you mean a track? Like it was a little track. They called it like, it was a little booklet and we'd hand it out. We'd, it's funny, we'd, we would hand it out on Skid Row to like. Oh, okay. I've never heard the word track. Yeah, you that's mean what like they call a little booklet. Yeah, a little booklet. Yeah, yeah a little, little get saved booklet. Like they call them tracks. I don't know why. And we're going, we're going to go pass it out tracks. And we go pass it out to the, the poorest, hungriest people. And I got it later in life, I kind of said, why didn't we give them a sandwich instead? I heard, you know? I heard Becca Stevens say something like that. She's one of my heroes that did Magdalene to get, she gets like, prostitutes off the road and like oh she yes, does yes all she's those amazing candles yeah, and yes. all that she she's got Nashvilleian of the year like she's amazing but she was talking about that she's like we need to feed these people before we start preaching to them because they're hungry and they're hurt and they got they need help you give some have some equity in the relationship we're just preaching I you know I there's a, in in recovery they say attraction rather than promotion and I'm like, I look at people and I'm like, do I want what they have? And I'm going to mimic what they're doing to get that. And then there's people I'm like, I don't really want what they have. So I'm going to maybe take a different path. Yes. I feel like the cross is somewhere that most of us are headed and there's different paths to that. And, and we all, not we all, because I really don't. I think all the paths, most of them are, are leading, the, the ones we talk about at least are leading there. But I was raised with this is the path. Yeah. You can't get there any other way. Oh my God, you're dying of cancer. Hurry up, say the sinner's prayer and you're good. And then, but if you happen to not get that sinner's prayer before you die, hellfire and damnation forever. And it's just, I just lived in fear and and it's interesting having lost just makes you go, okay, hold on just a second. How, well, I'm This God that's being with me, that's comforting me through this horrible time is definitely not the guy that's go, looking at his like Santa Claus Christmas list going, oh, you almost made it, but Dr. Evil dropped the bottom out. You're going to hellfire. Uh, you over this? I just that just doesn't. Happen. I just don't believe in that. Yeah, anymore. I I heard a quote once. I can't remember who said it. It might have been Gandhi. I'm not sure, but it was talking about don't believe anything that doesn't agree with your own soul. So I've always mm -hmm. thought about that quote because, like, I remember in my early 20s being just fascinated by. Well, if I was born in Saudi Arabia, I would be a Muslim, and there wouldn't be any way around it. And so, like. Are you going to say all these people that really didn't even have a, like, where, that haven't how, heard our gospel. how you're born and how I'm born, like, and, and what we're taught? And I mean, we're, you know, it's the exact same thing that they, like, it, it didn't even an option. They don't even know it. And so I am totally comfortable these days going, I don't know. I know. I believe in Jesus. But the person that doesn't know about it yet, I don't think God's holding that person responsible. I know that I feel a loving God that wants the best for us, that gave us the gospel and the Ten Commandments to help us, not to beat us over the head with. Yeah. So you don't want to listen to him? Okay, well, you're probably, there's going to be some consequences to that because I think he lets our life just kind of play out. But definitely, 
I feel more grace in this being that just loves all of us. Me exactly too. the same. Me too. I heard another thing about religions are all roads to the same place. Yeah. You know, everybody's Hell. trying to just do kidding. what's right. You know, like, like if they're, I mean, like, because a lot of it's just like details. Yeah. And we get, we get lost in the details sometimes. And, um, just the idea of, of where we are grief. Thank you, by the way, for talking to me. This is amazing. You're awesome. I love your book talking to the sky. I love that you're doing this. I was so happy when I heard you were doing this. I'm telling you, like, I remember I did this, I did this show. It was so crazy. It was like, cause we don't, we, we've never played out all the time. We've been doing it a little more lately, but I did, I got asked to do this show for organ donor awareness. Well, um, it was for Robert Redford's son who has like, or like had some organ transplants. Well, so I spent all day with this lady. Her name was Jerry. And it was weird because my friend that I wrote who you'd be today about, his name was Jerry. But so she was talking, we had spent the whole day together. And I just thought she's such a beautiful person, like, because she lost her son. That's why she was there. She lost her son, Alex, at 18. Like a couple days before he died, he told they were sitting at the kitchen table and he said he wanted to donate his organs. Like he saw it on the license and he didn't know anything about it. And he, she was talking to him about it. And then he he circled or whatever that, that he wanted to do that. And so she she had taken that loss and like just talking to her the way she was handling it. She was there to speak and she was helping so many people. It was just like, I was in awe of her, honestly, just what she, what she did with that kind of grief and loss, like, because she was using it to help other people. And that's how I feel about what you're doing. You are helping people with the most painful things somebody could ever go through. And those people are helping me. I mean, just talking about it, this group that I'm with, but thank you for saying that. But honestly, selfishly, it's when I, like I have a standing rule, but if you're an alcoholic or you lost a kid, you can call me anytime. I don't care who you are. Um, anytime, anywhere, you call me in the middle of the night, whatever, and I'm going to, and I'm going to show up for you. Yeah. And that's just not something that was true before this. Yeah. Like I am now the kind of person that will run to the fire instead of run away from it. And to be honest, before this happened, I would have been kind of, uh, what do you say? What do you do? Um, the, and my, nobody ever knows what to say. Well, I mean, like you guys, a group of, you headed up a group of songwriters that got a bench at Cheekwood for Sage. It's so sweet. And it just, I bawled when I, I was just like, that's the sweetest thing. And how much we got taken care of by, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was um, the amount of support and love we got shown was astounding. Like you can't believe it. It's like a, this is your life moment. Um, I'm glad everyone doesn't have to lose a kid, but man, the, what you really get to figure out how loved you are with something really bad happens because the, you get surrounded with it. And um, it was almost uncomfortable how I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not really worthy of this much care. Everybody loves y'all. Everybody loves y'all. I've never met anybody that didn't <laughs> love y'all. And They're not lying. only, not only <laughs> that, you and, and Brett both are like some of the funniest people that I've ever known. I mean, like you can cheer up anybody. Do you feel like it's funny that I'm doing a podcast on grief? <laughs> Do know? I feel like it's funny? No, but I'm happy you're doing it. 
it's it's perfect because if I was gonna watch something on this, I would want someone kind of like me that did, was a little disrespectful and didn't really know what they were talking about. And, <laughs> and I love that it's so human. Right. It's not glazing over like it's not fake in any way. No, don't have any answers. I don't have any information. I mean, that's and special. there there isn't, and it's just such a painful thing that you gotta deal with it somehow, and you're helping people deal with it and helping yourself deal with it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I love you. I love you too. I love your book so much. It's crazy. I'm like John C. Riley again, <laughs> stepbrothers. Oh God, I hope he plays my dad. I do. I mean, he's perfect, but I'm about ready to go stalk him. Talking to the sky. Oh, Lord, is that right? Is that right? An hour and a half. Oh, my gosh. It did not feel like that. Gosh, I could have gone for a while.